Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Amen. Hey, church, aren't you thankful to be in church today? I know you are. We're so thankful to have you here with us. If this is your first time at any of our campuses, whether it's here at Lakeland or Highland Colony or online, we're so glad to have you here. And I know you're going to meet some fantastic people no matter where you're at. And speaking of our other locations, can all of us here at Lakeland give it up for everyone at our 10 o'clock service at Highland Colony? Oh, we love you guys. Oh, man, I know you guys, like we here at Lakeland, had a fantastic worship service, and we're just so excited to have you there with us. And can all of us at all of our physical locations, can we give it up for everyone who's watching online today all over the world? Uh, We love you guys, and we pray uh, to see you real soon. Uh, We're starting a new series entitled These Scars Speak, Uh, and it's something that's been on my heart for a long time and just really felt like this was the time to kind of bring it out. And so I want to invite you today to open up your Bibles with me to the book of John. We're going to go to John chapter 20 and verse number 24. Uh, A couple of months ago uh, in prayer, uh, we have staff prayer every Tuesday uh, at 8.30, and it's honestly uh, my favorite time of the week. Um, God just meets our staff in a, a really neat way. Uh, I get to teach a little bit out of my own heart to pastor the staff because I've noticed that when we do service, a lot of times their minds are on other things. Uh, And so it's kind of my time to get to just uh, teach them and open up the word of God to them. And then we pray. And we pray for our church and for you, but also we just kind of open up time to kind of pray in the spirit and just kind of see where God would have us go. And on this one particular time in staff prayer, I walked in and my heart was burdened. Uh, And sometimes our hearts get there. Uh, We're just something has just rested and kind of laid upon. And I guess you could say has been heavy on you. Have, Have you ever had something be heavy on you? Uh, Something going on in the world or something going on with your children. Uh, Maybe something going on financially and it was just heavy upon you. And um, what was going on in my world was the Delta variant was in India. uh, And it kind of started in India, it seems, and then went over the world. But it was really hitting India hard. And uh, we're blessed in our nation to have such good medical care. Can we give it up for everyone in our, our medical care industry, from nurses and doctors and nurse practitioners and our clinics and our hospitals? Uh, we're so blessed. And a lot of the, the other nations are not quite set up to deal with some of the things that our nation is set up to deal with. And it just onslaughted India so much that, that I know a lot of pastors who passed away from COVID. Uh, because there was, was no oxygen or, or ventilators and like all of these kinds of things that were over there. And my heart was just burdened uh, for that nation and, and burdened for what was going on in India. I've been there myself many times and we have Bible schools there that, that we built and orphanages there and all of those kinds of things. And so I, I just was hearing from them about so much going on that my heart 
uh, was just burdened with that. And I brought that burden into prayer, which how many of you know is a good place to bring your burdens? Uh, it's to the Lord in prayer. Uh, and just began to pray for those things and just uh, began to intercede for that nation. And I just felt the Holy Spirit uh, just speak to my heart and said, see Jesus. And so just in my mind, I began to picture the risen Lord and his love for us and his love for humanity. How many of you know God so loves the world? Literally the world. God's not intimidated by the world. He's not frustrated with the world. God so loves the world, which means God loves you even in the middle of, of your sin. Uh, if you have paid attention to the world, uh, you have seen cruelty and you have seen pain and the, the very worst of humanity. And even in the midst of all that, God loves the world. So don't you ever think that God stopped loving you because, come on somebody, because of something you did, because of something you said, God loves the world. And so I was just picturing our loving Savior and his power working in the world, and the, the Holy Spirit just kind of arrested my attention when I was just picturing Jesus. And he said, see the wounded Christ. You're seeing the whole Christ. See the wounded Christ. In this moment of scripture that we're about to read, this is after Christ's resurrection. This is after he won the great battle. Uh, this is after the cross. This is after the beatings. This is after the punishment. Uh, he has appeared to his disciples. His disciples have told uh, many people about the Lord's resurrection and his appearance. One of the people that they told was Thomas, and Thomas was a doubter. Uh, this is where he gets the term doubting Thomas from. Uh, and it's unfortunate because we don't know if he was a true doubter. He just doubted this one thing and got labeled. How many of you know you can't allow the world to label you based off of one mistake you may have made, but it happened to Thomas. And so here we are uh, in John, and Thomas is about to speak up, and watch what he says here in John chapter 20 and verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except thou shalt see his, his hands in the print or the wound therein from the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were, were within, and Thomas was there with them. Then Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, peace be unto you. You can imagine, if you walked in a room through a wall, the first thing you would have to say would be, peace be unto everyone in this room. Uh, and then after that, he looks at Thomas, and he tells him this, reach hither your finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither your hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. He had seen the risen Christ, and when he saw the risen Christ, he saw a wounded Christ. That the, the, the Lord kept his wounds. That his physical body could have been restored, it could have been made whole, but he kept his wounds. 
And in prayer that day, the Lord spoke to my heart because we're praying about all of these things. I'm praying for healing to come from those who've been affected by COVID throughout India. I was praying for peace to come to them, for direction to come to their hearts, for uh, their, their lives to be touched with provision because many of their businesses and their economy had been shut down and affected. And the Lord spoke uh, to my heart and said, see the wounded Christ. Where was he wounded? There was a a crown of thorns put on his head. There were stripes laid across his back. There was a spear stuck into his side, and there were nails that were put into his hands. And each one of these areas of our Lord was wounded, and the reason why they were wounded was because the Lord was our substitute. I said the Lord Jesus was my substitute. The Lord God was our substitute. He took our place and was wounded in those areas so that we would not have to be. It wasn't just to pay the price of sin. It was to pay the price for your sin so that you did not have to be. He was wounded so that we could be made whole. And there was a crown of thorns put on his head so that your head would be free from the pain of fear and worry and anxiety and there were stripes put on his back so that your body could walk in healing and your body could walk in health and there was a spear thrust in his side that did not break a bone but did pierce his heart knowing that there would be things in your life that would try to pierce yours that tell you you could never love again or forgive again or be whole again but how many of you know our Lord Jesus Jesus can bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted because his heart was pierced so that yours did not have to be. His hands were pierced so that your hands could be blessed, so that what you put your hand to, you could see God grace and let it see progress. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about each one of these wounds so that you see a wounded Christ and you make up your mind that since he was wounded in those areas, I will no longer allow my life to be wounded in that. I will not make his sacrifice to none effect. I will take on his substitutionary work. And today what we want to talk about is the crown of thorns. Uh, now, this is, is very interesting to me. Um, these thorns, uh, it was put on him to mock him and to belittle him. And I think we have a lot of that now with bullying and online things that happen within our culture. Uh, but each one of these, these pricks on the crown of thorns w- was causing his head and his mind immense pain. And it seems to me as if in the last couple of years uh, that things have changed even in the way that I pastor. When I first started pastoring, I would help a lot of people with counseling with things they were facing in their marriage or things that they were facing in their finances. But like never before, it seems like that the predominant thing that I counsel is things that are going on in people's minds, fears, irritations, agitation, depression, uh, self-harm, Uh, neglect of the soul. 
And I thought maybe it was just me, but the more I kind of read on the subject, the more I kind of saw it was not just me as a pastor who was facing those things, but it seems like uh, pastors and, and clinical professions, uh, professionals all over the world are facing the same type of thing. And I read a book uh, for this series called Out of the Cave, and it was talking about this pastor's journey out of depression. And he gave this statistic from uh, the website Healthline, and it said this, depression is the world's number one health problem right now. It's the world's number one health problem. It is causing more deaths than cancer each year, depression, and is the leading cause of disability. In the last decade, antidepressant use has gone up 300%. In the last 10 years, uh, the amount of people worldwide who have uh, begun to use antidepressants has gone up 300%. Now, this began to strike me, but it did not surprise me because of the, the things that I have seen people wrestle with. And then also, when I began to look at this from the context of Scripture, I saw that the very first place that Satan attacked man was not in his body, his marriage, or with his kids. The first place that Satan attacked man was in his thought life. Uh, the first place that we see the enemy attack Jesus was not with his physical body or with provision. It was with his thought life. Uh, that it seems like the area that most of us are going to be tempted in and affected by is going to be in our minds, fears, insecurity, doubts. Self-doubt, feeling like you're not good enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough, not athletic enough. The enemy is constantly bombarding us with thoughts. My wife said something here recently, I thought it was quite profound. She went through a, a little season that I'd never quite seen her navigate before uh, and was unfamiliar to me and to her. And by the, the grace of God, she pulled out of it just like a, a champ uh, and in looking at what had happened in that particular season, she broke it down like this. She said, a thought uh, was so persistent that it turned into a lie, and that lie then turned into a truth that I began to see myself through. A thought, thought long enough, turns into a truth, but that truth is in all actuality a lie. I'm not loved, no one loves me, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not able enough, I'm not good enough, uh, I can't be forgiven of that, I can't come back from that, they don't like me, they don't want to befriend me, they don't want to see me. Thoughts, ideas, suggestions from the enemy. Uh, thoughts uh, like you're not going to make it, what if you lose your job, and the fear and the insecurity of all those things, it turns into this major lie, it's a lie, God's your provider, God will take care of you, but that lie turns into a truth the more you think about it, that truth weighs on your mind until it burdens you down, and it turns into something that instead of you being able to control it, it's now controlling you. That emotions, they always make incredible servants, but they make terrible masters. It's one thing to be able to experience sadness when it's in your control. It can be very beneficial, but when sadness begins to control you. It's one thing to experience fear when it's in your control. It's another thing for fear to control you. It's one thing to, to, to feel angry. It's another thing to be controlled by that anger. And what we're living in now is a day and age where people are controlled by emotion. We don't have emotion, emotion has us. 
And we have to reclaim ourselves because he was pierced in his head and in his mind so that we would not have to be. I don't have to be a slave to fear. I don't have to be a slave to self-doubt. I don't have to believe the enemy's lies. I can be set free by the power of a living God and break out of any funk I may be in by the power of his spirit. That out of that, we can be free. Uh, and what I want to talk to you today about, just that path towards freedom, and then we're going to worship at the end of this message, uh, because sometimes a song is all you need, uh, and that's the truth. Um, uh, so, but before we get to that place, I just kind of want to prime the pump, and I want to talk about some limitations that you need to embrace in your life. Now, I'm all about pushing past limitation because can't for me is like a dirty word. I, uh, it's like a cuss word in the Sims family household. You can ask my children, I don't like the word can't. Uh, like I believe I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens us. Uh, but how many of you know the Lord Jesus also told us, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> and so out of that, there are some limitations. And there are some limitations set up in scripture. And what I find is that more and more people, especially in the age of COVID that we're living in, uh, are bursting past these limitations and they are reaping the consequences of doing so. And you need to establish these borders back into your life in order to have your mind be free the way Jesus died for it to be. Amen. Uh, so number one, here's the first limitation. Number one, I can't neglect my soul. I must pay attention to my soul. I need rest. I need reflection, and I need renewal. All throughout Scripture, we see God teaching the principle of pulling away, getting away from work. In fact, uh, one of the Ten Commandments was pull away from work. Uh, pull away uh, from the ongoing pressure to be something and do something. And they would always ask, well, what do we do? He said, rest. I designed you for rest. Look at this pattern in the life of Jesus in the book of Mark. They'll put this up on the screen, Mark chapter 6 and verse 31. And he said unto them, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest, notice this, for a while. Come to a secluded place, come to a desert place. Are we doing ministry there? No. Are we working there? No. What are we doing? We're resting. Well, somebody says, well, that feels like doing nothing. You're not doing nothing, you're resting. You're not doing nothing, you're resting on purpose. Come away to a desert place and rest for a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure, they were having no fun, so much as even to eat. Now what this, this is talking about here is not just like eating food for like nourishment, it's getting at the context of like sitting down for a meal and enjoying it sitting down uh, among friends and connecting, sitting down over food and sharing. And what Jesus is noticing is a correction that his disciples needed to make, that their life was so busy that it didn't have any fun in it, uh, that their schedule was so hectic that it had no leisure in it, 
There was not a supply of laughter. How many of you know the joy of the Lord is still your strength? Uh, You need something that makes you laugh. You need people who are helpers of your joy. Uh, You need moments sitting around your dinner table where you are not on your phone, but you are in a conversation. Your soul needs a break from digital media. Your soul needs a break from work. Uh, Me and my, one of my friends, we were at our son's uh, football game and we're watching them play football and we're talking and we started talking about parenting and how like we're, we feel like we're the first kind of generation that's learning to parent children through the age of social media and a level of digital connection. And we're talking about where those boundaries are and how dangerous it is for them to be exposed to too much and where are the limits and where should we kind of pull it back and what are the constraints and how far should it go and like all of these types of things and just talking about the challenge of that uh, in raising kids because it's new territory. We don't know. Uh, And we're trying to figure it out. And I just sense like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, what about you? Like in your, okay, like that's great for your kids that you're mindful of like all the things that they're digesting. They said, what about you compared to your father? And I saw an image of my father coming home and how much more relaxed he was because he didn't have a phone with him that could get the report that night. That he, need, he had to wait to get a printed copy. Does anybody remember printed copies? <laughs> Uh, to get the printed copy at work the next day of what attendance was, of what these numbers were, of what these metrics were, that there was no cell phone uh, that could be checked, watched, emails, work, texts for work, slacked, you know, all of these types of things to kind of interact with. And now, not only is our, our entertainment and news cycle, which is taxing enough because most entertainment numbs and does not nourish Uh, It does not fill you, it just numbs you. So not only is entertainment 24-7, but now work is 24-7. And combined with the 24-7 news cycle, what it's doing is it is literally overwhelming our brains. Our brains were not meant to handle that amount of news, that amount of stress, tragedies in 27 different places in the world that just happened 30 minutes ago. Our brain was not made for that. And you have to understand your limitations that out of this, you need to have some fun. You need some leisure. You need, come on somebody, you need some rest. And somebody says, well, I just feel like I'm doing nothing. You're not doing nothing, you're resting. Those are two different things. And we need it for our long-term physical health, but I think in our day and age, we need it for our long-term mental health. We need to turn off our phones. We need to, to silence them and not do work. We need to disengage from the news cycle. Maybe you, you turn off the news app for a week or, or, or make a decision not to turn on the news for a week, but you need to find leisure. You need to find fellowship. Uh, God set up this principle in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2. They'll put this up on the screen. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day. Oh, come on, somebody. From all of his work, uh, which he had made. Now, why did he do this? 
For an example for us, verse three, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he rested from all of his work which God created and God made. We don't rest enough. You have to restore yourself. You have to renew yourself. So let me ask you these questions. What equals rest for you? Do you know? Do you even know? Uh, do, do you know what equals, and this is a key distinction, what equals nourishment for you? I think so, so many of us, we're really not getting better, we're just getting number. Do you know what nourishes you? What equals rest for you? What equals fun for you? What equals peace for you? Prioritize that in your life. Pull away like Jesus did. Uh, depart uh, into a place and have some leisure. Have some, Jesus gives you permission to have some fun, uh, to have a moment where you rest. Uh, and not only does Jesus give you permission, God commands it. God commands that you rest. Now, we know we're under grace and that the Ten Commandments you know, have been fulfilled in Jesus. But how many of you know, still a good idea not to kill people? Like, right, still, still a good idea. I know we're under grace, but still a good idea not to bear false witness. Like, that's, that's just a good idea. And the principle of rest and, and to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy and to make sure that you have time each week where you rest and nourish your soul for a while is critical for your long-term health physically, but also your long-term health mentally as well. Secondly, the second thing that you have to accept, the limitation that you need in your life is you cannot do life alone. You have to make a decision to do life in the context of relationships. Uh, and one of the, the people in scripture that just absolutely fascinates me is King David. Uh, and you see King David be incredibly emotionally healthy. Uh, now, like in our society, you hear a lot about EQ or emotional intelligence and how EQ is a better predictor of success than IQ. Uh, being able to be smart and make good grades is great. IQ, great. Uh, but EQ, emotional intelligence, they say, is even better, and it's a, a longer-term predictor of success. And what EQ is is being able to read your own emotions, uh, being able to read the emotions of others, knowing how to change your emotions and knowing how to help other people change theirs. All these things are important. So when you're looking at Scripture, one of the people who's just so emotionally healthy is King David. Uh, like, you see King David be neglected by his father, like literally forgotten by his father. When Samuel come, it comes, it's like, there's a king in your household. He brings in all the, can you imagine if that happened to you? Brings in all the other children, uh, and he leaves the other one out in the field, because surely it can't be him, and sure enough, it was. Uh, then all his brothers go out to battle, and he's having to keep the sheep, and he's missing out on this event, and you don't see him pouting. Uh, you don't see him like an emotional place where, you know, he's playing dark music and walking around with his head held down. He's just worshiping the Lord and, you know, being at peace. And he's like, sure, I'll go take him peanut butter sandwiches. And he takes him to the field and he sees the giant and he's like, I'll kill him. And they're like, who do you think you are? You're just a keeper of the sheep. Uh, and like for most people, this would have set him back like 10 years. Like they would have been, you know, crying in a bathroom stall somewhere. And you know what David did? It's like, well, I'll just turn from him to another. Like he just completely 
totally ignores the criticism, and he's so emotionally healthy. Then he gets in, you know, before King Saul, and Saul, like, puts his armor on him, and it doesn't fit, and this would be a moment where David could see, like, I'm not this, and I'm not that, and have, like, this deep moment of insecurity of, like, you know, if I was going to be a king, the king's armor would fit, and nothing, but you just see him breeze right past, he's like, it doesn't fit, and he takes it off, and he's like, I'll just use this, and it's a slingshot, uh, and they're looking at him, and then he walks out to Goliath, and Goliath is like, you send a kid to me? He's like, am I a dog that you would send a kid to me? And David's like, oh, it's fine, and, you know, kills him. Uh, you know, all those kinds of things. Like, so emotionally healthy. Saul's throwing spears at him, and he's like, it's okay. I know you've had a rough day. Like, walking in love and forgiveness, like, so emotionally healthy. Until his mentor dies. And you see uh, Samuel, this man of God who was so just instrumental in David's life, pass away. And David is about to explode. Now, this is very interesting to me. Uh, I have, you know, this balloon here. Uh, and uh, many of you are familiar with the balloon that when you put this internal pressure within it, the balloon begins to get bigger. And the bigger it gets, the more tightening you can feel in the balloon. And if you keep putting pressure in the balloon without ever relieving some of the pressure, what is going to happen to the balloon? It's gonna pop, and even before it pops, what's going to happen? It's going to get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until finally the internal pressure is bigger than the vessel can handle. And there's an explosion. And this happens with our emotions. Is through life you're accumulating internal pressure. Uh, something happens with the kids, they're making bad grades. Something happens at work, you're being overlooked. Something happens in the context of a friendship, you weren't invited. Uh, something happens on social media, you didn't get the likes you thought you would get, or the comments you thought you would get, or you saw them on vacation and you've always wanted to be there, and you're not. Uh, like all of these types of things, you have this internal pressure that builds. People mistreat you, people overlook you, things aren't working out the way that you expected. You're still 20 pounds heavier than you want to be whatever it may be, you have all of this internal pressure that is building up on the inside of you. And it's fine, but you're not paying attention to the tightening. And our minds are getting tighter and tighter, and here's how you know it. You're becoming more impatient. You're becoming more discouraged. You're becoming more defeated. You're becoming quicker with your emotions, and something is about to break. And for David, he is an emotional champ. He is sailing through all of these things. Samuel dies, and one guy by the name of Nabal just does something real dumb, and it sends David off the edge. And he tells 200 of his men, gear up for war. We're going to go kill this man. Like, we're going to kill him. And just, uh, have you ever overreacted before? It's like, they're out of milk. Like, you know, like all of these types of things. Like, have you ever, have you ever been surprised by your soul? It's like, why am I crying in this movie? Like, have you ever been there? David has this huge overreaction. And he's going to go kill Nabal. And no one can talk to him. No one can make him stop. He's not opening up the valve. 
until a wise woman comes in the picture by the name of Abigail. And she slows David down and she asks him, what are you doing here? She begins to counsel him. She begins to open up the valve and the pressure begins to come out of David's soul. She gives him spiritual counsel. She gives him spiritual advice. She gives him peace. She gives him rest. And David calms down. Now, here's the thing. The calming down is great, but if he would have exploded, it would have cost him in more ways than he ever possibly could have imagined. And all of this was because David was not paying attention to his soul. Your soul cannot internalize everything. It's got to release some of that pressure. And one of the chief ways it is released is by good, godly friends, mentors, counselors, fathers, mothers in your life that you begin to open up to, that you begin to receive counsel from. You begin to let things off of your chest. You have a moment of vulnerability where you take the leaves off and you allow other people to see your issues and you begin to have freedom and liberty brought to your life because the truth always sets you free. What if Saul could have come to David and been like, you know, it hurt me when they sang your praises. David, come here. Like, that hurt. In that moment where they gave you ten thousands and me a thousand, I feel like if they're giving you that, it's only a matter of time before they give you the kingdom. What if he had a conversation that relieved his pressure instead of blowing up and throwing a spear? I, I bet you in that moment, David would have said, no, king, because David loves Saul. No, he called him my father, even at his worst. No, my father. What if he would have been courageous enough to invite a conversation, uh, to have the, the emotional capability to say, I need someone in my life. I can talk about what is going on in my life and open up the valve. Thirdly, I cannot neglect my private devotion. I cannot neglect spiritually devoting my life to the Lord. Now, I want to end with this, uh, and I'll invite the worship teams to, to come back on stage, and we'll close with song. Uh, but, but here is, is just genuinely what I, I sensed I needed to end with, is that the place of your greatest emotion needs to be the place of your greatest devotion. Your place of your, your highest emotion needs to be the place of your highest devotion. There was this moment in scripture where God came to Abraham and he all, uh, asked for the thing that Abraham was most emotional about. He asked for his Isaac. And, and Abraham comes and he offers up with just courageous faith the thing that he was most emotional about, and he sets it on the altar. All of this emotion, all of this love, all of this care, he takes the thing that he's emotional about, and he sets it on an altar. This place of emotion became a place of devotion where his faith deepened, his spirituality increased, his walk with God went further, and when that place of emotion became a place of devotion, he saw divine provision. That the very thing he was emotional about, that there was a redeeming thing there to take 
its place. Provision. And I I just sense uh, that um, for so many of you, the past season has been incredibly emotional. Where there have been things just poking at your mind, self-doubts, insecurities, weaknesses about if you're going to be uh, good enough for this season of life, concerns over the future, maybe even concerns about your past. And these things have been like thorns in your mind. And if you can work up the courage in these moments to turn uh, this place that has become very emotional to you into a place that is your devotional, that you make a decision to go deeper in your walk with God, that the very thing that you're concerned about, there is a ram in a jam just for you. That in this moment of devotion, provision begins to come in your life and you see God move with his mighty hand to work out and perfect everything that concerns you with the power of his spirit and God doing what only God can do in your life. Do you remember the Lord Jesus? There was a a moment in his life that emotionally and in his mind, he was under so much stress that he began to sweat great drops of blood. Just so emotional about these moments. And in his emotional place where his mind was under attack, even before the crown of thorns was placed on his head, do you know what Jesus did? Number one, he went to his place of rest, the Garden of Gethsemane. He broke away from work and he went to a place of beauty. He went to a place where he had laughed before. He went to a place where he had prayed before. He went to a place where he had worshiped before. He broke away from the place where he was at and went to a place of rest. Secondly, he didn't go to that place of rest alone. He invited 12 men with him. And the 12 men went in, and then he knew, I want to go a little bit deeper, but I don't want to go alone. And he invited three men in closer with him, and he got vulnerable in front of them. And he said, my soul is pressed to the point of death. And he began to tell him, I need you in my life. I need you to pray for me. He began to open up about what was going on internally. He opens up the valve. And then when he shares his pain and he shares his emotion with his disciples, he turns And he falls on his knees. He has a moment of secret devotion before the Lord where he says, not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment that was so stressful for our Lord and so uh, just internalized by our Lord, we see the Lord do these three things, pulling away from the emotional thing to a place of rest, inviting others into the pain with him and saying, I need to be vulnerable and I need your prayers. And then making a decision to press into God like never before. And that moment of stress turned into a moment where Jesus, it says, stood up on his feet, came to his disciples and said, arise for my betrayer is at hand and faced the most stressful time of his life with only a power that a living God could bring. And I am telling you right now, if you're going through a stressful spot where you've got thorns pressing your mind, your mind on all these sides, 
You need to go and give yourself to some leisure and fun. Go to a place of rest. You need to be uh, open up and transparent in front of friends and family who you know can pray with you and be there for you. And number three, you need to take this emotional moment and make it a devotional moment in your life where you press into God like never before. And I believe if you do, you can see provision come into your life just like Jesus did and just like Abraham did. Today, I want to pray for us. And after prayer, I just want to have a moment where we worship together. At all of our campuses, I just want to have a a moment where we just dive into God's presence. Uh, So I'm going to pray. And then at uh, our campuses, they'll begin to worship. Our campus pastor will close out Highland Colony and I'll close out this campus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we just thank you that your peace is ours, your forgiveness is ours, your wholeness is ours. And Father, I just thank you that today, by the power of your spirit, that you bring peace that passes all understanding to each and every person who is watching this. Father, we thank you in any emotional moment that people may find themselves in. Father, we thank you your grace is greater and your grace is stronger and you wore a crown of thorns so that our minds would not have to be afflicted. And Father, today we just thank you whom the Son sets free is free indeed by the power of your Spirit. And Father, we thank you that we're able to walk in the liberty that only your spirit could bring. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.